0: This is Kamishanigans, episode 486, Flashback to Spider-Man, Gathering of Five, and Final Chapter. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host Adam Chapman, and this is episode 486. It's our flashback to Spider-Man: The Gathering of Five slash the final chapter. Um, this is uh, something I've actually wanted to do for a while. I remember the first—I think one of the first flashback sh- episodes I ever did for Comic Shenanigans was episode, uh, actually, I'm looking at it, 128. It was a flashback to Spider-Man: Spider Hunt and Identity Crisis, which uh, would have come out a few months before uh, the issues that are contained in the story I'm talking about today. Um, I think Specifically, I remember it took place in uh, Sensational Spider-Man 25 to I think 28. Uh, so here we're picking up with uh, Sensational Spider-Man 32 to 33, Amazing Spider-Man 440 to 441, Spider-Man 96 to 98, and Spectacular Spider-Man 262 to 263. Um, this was released in these two storylines were released in trade paperback under the title Gathering of Five. Um, which I actually would have called it the final chapter. I was actually kind of surprised that they went with Gathering of Five as the name, uh, specifically because uh, they then have a series of trades that come after it called the next chapter. Uh, so it kind of would have made sense to have the final chapter and then the next chapter. Uh, originally, when I sat down today, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do an episode on the next chapter. Um, they recently announced, uh, I forget the exact name of it now, but I think it's called the Revenge of the Green Goblin or something like that. Anyways, they announced a, a new upcoming Spider-Man collection, which is going to take place basically for from the end of the next chapter, uh, collecting all the Amazing Spider-Man issues after that, so uh, up to JMS's run. So basically, I believe 20 to 29, Um, but not including the Peter Parker Spider-Man stuff, which is by Paul Jenkins, which at some point hopefully will get re-released in a nice trade paperback. Anyway, so Amazing Spider-Man is finally going to be more or less not perfectly collected, but if you think of the clone saga stuff, Uh, Ending, And then we have a weird period where there's really no Amazing Spider-Man collected. And then we have, you know, um, Identity Crisis and Spider-Hunt. And then a a few more issues missing. And then we have Gathering of Five. So we're getting close to having most of Amazing Spider-Man collected in some format. Um, Anyways... To make a long story short, when I saw that that trade was coming, and I recently bought my Ultimate Spider-Man by JMS collections years after I should have, um, but I got them for a good deal. At least the first four volumes, the fifth volume, eh, still pending on that one. Um... Anyways, I never had bothered to go back and get the Next Chapter books. And then I got, was able to get them on eBay for a fairly good price. Um, actually, a friend of the show, AJ, was instrumental in me being able to get to them because shipping was insane to Canada, but he was able to do uh, to pick them up for me and then uh, send them to me, and it was uh, a lot more effective. I think uh, he actually mailed them while I was on my vacation. I was in vacation in California and got a nice uh, package, and it was uh, my Spider-Man, the Next Chapter, uh, Volumes 1 to 3. If only those books had been better, uh, that would have been... <laughs> The best surprise, not even a surprise, I knew it was coming, but it was still nice. You're on vacation to get some comics sent to you, it's pretty awesome. Um, so I got these three volumes of the next chapter, and I was going through them and saying, you know, these aren't, actually aren't necessarily as bad as um, people have made them out to be, and I was excited to maybe at some point do a flashback episode. So today was the day I book them up, and was like, okay, I'm going to talk about the first volume, and we'll go through it. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Did I ever really do an episode on what led up to the next chapter? Uh, so I went through kind of looking through the archives and saw, even though I did a flashback episode on the Spider Hunt and Identity Crisis, and this was December 22nd, 2013, so three and a half years ago. Uh, so although I did do something. It's been a long time uh, since I've kind of gone to this era. And I thought, you know, let's do it right. Let's do the Gathering of Five and kind of go from there. Um, So that's a long preamble as to why I decided that this was going to be the storyline that I started with. Instead of just talking about the next chapter, um, which has its problems, but I think also has a few few charms as well. Um, So to get a sense of where the Marvel Universe was at this point. um, So I would first of all recommend you go back if you can find episode 128. Whew. I'm up at, what, 486 now? So 128 sounds like a long time ago. Um, so I talked about Spider-Hunt and Identity Crisis on that episode. And so basically, uh, Spider-Man has been dealing with um, Norman Osborn kind of resurfacing and being a real Thorn on his side, but not even being as the Green Goblin, but just being Norman Osborn. Um, basically pulling a kind of Lex Luthor of the 90s. Um, But they did a good job of telling that story. And then Identity Crisis. So Spider-Hunt basically, he framed him for a crime or hired someone who, the trapster in this case, to frame Spider-Man for a crime. Spider-Man had a huge bounty on his head. He was also coming off a recent uh, public beating of Norman Osborn, which was not well-received because Norman Osborn had got people to believe he wasn't the Green Goblin. So everyone was after Spider-Man. And then dealing with this, Spider-Man decided, well, until I can clear my name, I'm going to adopt identities, four in fact, and become known as Ricochet, Hornet, um, Prodigy, and Dusk. It's actually interesting, the day I record this, on the 20th of June, um, they just announced uh, an upcoming issue I guess. Whatever the new slits that just came out today are, there's a new uh, Ben Reilly Scarlet Spider issue that's going to be coming up uh, dealing with uh, the um, a new character or a new version of, of the Hornet character. And apparently, the, the I guess the Slingers aren't too uh, g- too happy with how that's going about. But it's going to be interesting because, I mean, Prodigy is around. Ricochet's is around. I don't know if Dusk has really been around. I feel like the last time we saw her was years ago in a Ms. Marvel issue where she was being used as a kind of a doll by a puppet master. I mean, that was over. 10 years ago, I think. Uh, So it'll be interesting. Anyways, it's kind of timely that, of course, the Slingers are going to kind of make an appearance. Slingers is one book I'm surprised it was kind of occulted of its time, that it's never been collected in trade paperback, um, because I know I would be the first in line to buy that if it ever got announced. Um, So it's kind of giving you a sense of what's been going on in Amazing Spider-Man. And then in this trade, so this trade is called The Gathering of Five. I think it should have been called the final chapter. Again, it would have been nice to go along with the next chapter. And these are not issues that are necessarily the the best received. Um, you open the issue with a bunch of kind of uh, recap issues or, or pages from recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man at the time uh, where we saw the Brotherhood of Scryers uh, who obviously had a big uh, presence during the Clone Saga and they were kind of retconned to be not one, one person or an entity but really uh, a group uh, that was uh, led by Norman Osborn by the Which was, for the most part, explained both in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which started to explain it, and then the the Osborn Journal. I love that one shot. Even though I forgot the name of it, I love that one shot. It's so good. Uh, by Glenn Greenberg, and it's mainly because I'm a I'm a huge fan of anyone who can put together continuity, even something as complicated as the Clone Saga, and make everything make sense. And that's what that did for me, and I really just always really appreciate it. Um, so the Squires are you know a cabal of, of criminals that basically are under the control of Norman Osborne and Alice Mungrain was the woman who looked like she is the one who absconded with um, Baby May. So that's kind of leading up to where this book finds us is that uh, Robertson, sorry, Robert Robertson is on vacation with his wife, but but he's really looking for Allison Mungreen. She's confronted by the squires who give them some money and she's going to get uh, whatever she had absconded with, and then her yacht is blown up. And um there's I guess some mysterious character supposed to be watching it. I don't even know if we ever really get a sense of who that is. Anyways, it turns out Alison Mungreen survived and um then we talk about things that never get ever mentioned again or ever really uh, referenced, is that we have the Scryers kind of celebrating the fact that they have killed awesome and Grain, and then a shadowy character who's very clearly meant to be Cain shows up, and then... In the in the prison, uh, sorry, in a hospital, uh, while Robert Robertson is looking for Alice Munger, and he finds some of the squires, and he sees that they have the mark of Cain in them, and that's pretty much the last we ever hear of that. Uh, they never go back to that well. We don't see Cain again for over ten years. I think it's even longer than that, actually. Until sometime in Brand New Day when they finally decided to bring them back. And then we move into... So that's kind of the setup. That things are going on. Alice Green's out there. She narrowly survived this attack. Robbie Robertson's looking for her. Uh, stuff's going down. And then we go into Sensational Spider-Man by uh, DeZago and Bennett. Uh, which is the first chapter of Gathering of Five. Now, Gathering of Five had kind of been led up to in is- recent issues at that point. And the idea was that if you bring together these elements, and they, the people who hold these elements, that they will do a mystical ceremony, and that there's, there's five things that will uh, be kind of given over to those who survive. Uh, and uh, it's ter- terrible that I forget exactly what they were. Um, but basically, like there was, I think, life, uh, madness, strength, Power, like very kind of vague concepts, and so the Gathering of Five is basically slowly getting this this group together that's going to participate in this um, in this you know kind of magical mumbo jumbo procedure. Uh, now, in the middle of this, you have Alison and Green doing everything she can to get back to New York to Peter Parker. And, um, you also have Robbie Robinson trying to help her. You go up against the Molten Man. Like, there's a lot kind of going on as they're trying to do kind of their own thing, while at the same time, Osborne's trying to put together this special gathering. So, what I like about it is that there's a lot going on in these comics. Um, there's definitely, you know, there's a lot going on. Now, the second chapter is an issue of Amazing Spider-Man 440. I actually kind of like the cover, um... But it's it's written by John Byrne, as a, it's credited a guest writer, uh, with pencils by Raphael K- Kianin, uh with inks by Larosa and Ramos and Palmiotti and Canan, or Canon sorry. So there's a lot of people who work on this book, and it kind of feels like it because um, there's not a lot of consistency from page to page. It's one penciler, but a lot of different takes on that penciler. Uh, kind of a fun Molten Man fight, um, you know, which feels very classic. But then you also again have more of this development of Osborne being warned about how dangerous this uh, gathering is because of uh, what could happen. Uh, because uh, here the, the gifts are mentioned as power, uh, knowledge, and immortality, and death and madness. So those are the kind of the the options. And then I believe I'm trying to remember. So this is not the last issue of Sensational Spider-Man. Then we have an issue, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, ninety-six. Um, So these five chapters of Gathering of Five aren't the, there's definitely a a sense that there's an ongoing storyline because there's this gathering, but you also have other elements that are kind of playing out across all these books. So as much as it's kind of part of one big storyline, I feel like you can kind of read each chapter more or less on its own, which is kind of surprising Um, because, you know, when you see like part one, part two, part three, you expect to be a little bit more disoriented and yet you aren't. Um, so Peter Parker's Spider-Man number 96 This is part of The Gathering of Five Part 3. This issue is written by Howard Mackey and our work is a guest penciler by Norman Felch or Felkey uh, I don't actually know how to pronounce it I loved this issue as a kid um, I look back at it now and the art is inconsistent and you could see you could see certain influences in the art but it's not the most consistent. The book's almost over. It feels kind of a rush filling job. There's weird faces. There's not a lot of details at times. There's sometimes you'll have people like looking at each other and there's no pupils. Uh, Madame Webb is getting a sense of what could happen because she's been she's being asked to join this gathering of five, and um, and she's getting the sense of like she's basically being in, in, in roped into something that she doesn't really want to be engaged in. Um, and also you have Some great things going on with Osborne and J. Jonah Jameson, and you know, Jameson's getting threatened, and it's just very upsetting. And then Norman's obviously trying to push Peter's Peter's button, so Peter's kind of really trying to, you know, uh, expel some of his personal demons because he's dealing with so much stress of being constantly kind of toyed with by Osborne. And then there's some really good character moments here because you have Jameson, a man who is pretty strong and prideful, and now he's being bullied by. by Norman Osborne, and he, you know, kind of decides that he's got to stop Norman no matter what, and it's, it's a very compelling kind of sequence where he kind of goes uh, to find Norman, and Norman's, you know, ready for the Gathering of Five, and he's all kind of excited for that, and uh, Norman shows up, sorry, uh, Jameson shows up and pulls a gun on uh, Nor- Norman, which, I mean, maybe to some might be a little bit out of character, but given how you know this is a man who's constantly been kind of cow-towed by this man who he knows to be a super villain and knows is a threat knows is dangerous and he can 't do anything about it He can 't get out from under this man and he feels like his only kind of um, you know resource at this point is to pull a gun on him, but then he doesn 't actually have it in him to, to shoot him, which is actually not a bad thing against Jameson. and then uh Norman you know kind of then threatens him as well. Um, you know, picks up the gun and says, "I should put you right out for misery." Like I found this as, a, I mean, what year is this? I guess ninety eight. Um, I found this very compelling. Um, I was like 14, 15 years old. I thought this was strong stuff. I mean, um, and the fact that even when Spider Man is able to kind of stop uh, Norman from sh- shooting Jameson, Jameson still doesn't want Spider Man's help, and even in victory, he's still defeated. Uh, and it's a great issue as well because now. I like that stuff. I will also admit that there's some weird stuff here that is dumb. I, um, I'm flipping through it, and I'm just like, I don't even remember why this is happening. You have ongoing storylines of J- uh, Robertson and Allison McGrane trying to find Peter Parker. That's cool, uh, although it got some weird villains that they go up against. You also have Spider-Man swinging through New York and suddenly going up against a giant what uh, dragon... You know, breathing green flame. Like There's some weird stuff happening here, which they just kind of gloss over, but I kind of like that as well, because that's kind of very Spider-Man and very New York in the Marvel Universe, that weird crazy stuff is going to happen, and sometimes it's not even important what it is. Um, it's just happening, and you just got to go on with it. And that's definitely what this feels like. Uh, and then we have, let's see, Chapter 4, which is Spectacular Spider-Man 262. Uh, this is written by Howard Mackie. Uh, now this is... Actually, sorry, it's not. Um... The cover indicates it's by Mackie, F-Falke, Lee and Hannah, which is just like the last issue, but in actuality, the credits credit uh, John Byrne as the guest writer again, and Luke Ross as the penciler, um, with Al Milgram as the inker. Uh, the and this I, I liked a lot. Again, you're developing in the background this, this, this gathering that's going to happen and who who are the five is basically kind of what we're seeing in each of these issues. The last issue was Madame Web being kind of one of them. And now we have this other kind of shadowy person who ends up not being who we expect them to be, but ends up being a character who ends up being a bigger deal in the Spider-Man mythos. Um, uh, what I liked about this is, again, you have people kind of... They're setting up a new status quo for these characters. The idea that, you know, Mary Jane's going to go back to modeling because she had gone back to school. Um, you know, they're definitely... And you have Spider-Man dealing with uh, some uh, some bad cyclists. Um, you have Norman Osborn being confronted by someone who's brought the last kind of fragment he needs, but it's not who he expects. And it's like a very classic, it can't be, not you, but ends up really not being that big a deal to people who actually know anything about Spider-Man because it's, it's just a new character. And then uh, then we have Sensational Spider-Man 33, which is kind of, you know, an interesting read because it's the last issue of Sensational Spider-Man. It kind of goes out on a weird note. It goes out as the final chapter of Gathering the Five, but it's not even part of the final chapter storyline. Um... But it does kind of bring to a close some of the characters that had been in this book. You have Todd DeZego writing it with Joe Bennett on pencils. And I really liked Joe Bennett during this period. I thought his pencils were fantastic. And here we have the character of Override. Uh, He was dealing with uh, what had happened during the Spider Hunt and Identity Crisis trade. Um, The idea that, you know, Override's wife was really injured. And he ended up getting a job with uh, uh, Norman Osborn, which kind of is eventually enables him to be part of the gathering of 5 because he wants something for his wife. He wants his wife to be rescued. He wants his wife to be okay. Um and he it's actually quite a strong issue and it's very sad because you know he just wants his wife to be back and he's just way so worried that she's you know that she's gone from him and um yeah, it's actually really it's, it's really, really sad, and there's some interesting, like, storytelling beats here where, like, he's brought her flowers, and they're kind of wilting and dying, and it's it's quite emotional. Um, and you also have the idea here that, you know, classic uh, kind of Parker luck, that Peter, you know, gets some extra money from selling photos and wants to get extra uh, books, school books for Mary Jane, and Mary Jane's kind of decided that she wants to go back to being a model Um, that's kind of what they want going on, and that's where their status quo is going to be as a family going forward. Very kind of, very kind of cool. And for the most part, and I'm flipping through it to remember, it looks like we don't actually get a sense of who the fifth person is, or the fourth, I should say, Uh, that in the last issue, uh, Spectacular was a big, you know, or not Spectacular, uh... Sorry, yeah, spectacular. We got the big sense of, who is this? Oh my god, this person's going to be the next person in the Gathering. And we don't even get to see that in the final chapter of the... Sorry, the last chapter of the Gathering of Five. So that's five issues that have their problems, don't get me wrong, and have, you know, kind of... John Byrne doing two guest writing spots and then the rest by D'Hadizago and Howard Mackie. The art is a little bit all over the place because we have some people who just aren't regular Spider-Man illustrators. They're kind of guest illustrators. Uh, They're not really kind of getting their A-game at this point. Um, So, Although I would say Luke Ross's uh, issues is quite good as well as Bennett's. But the rest is kind of all over the place. And then we get up to the final chapter. Um, It was a rough period for Spider-Man, but I am able to look at it with slightly nostalgic eyes because it's not kind of like aspects I can re I can understand there's certain elements here that just don't work and some people don't like the idea that Norman Osborn doing weird mystical ceremony but I mean it's not that different it's not that far removed from what people do in the Marvel universe I think it still kind of works um, so we have the final chapter part one by a guest writer John Byrne. Uh, the artwork is once again by Raphael Kainen and it's just weird to me that you have a kind of a, not a nobody, that kind of sounds rude, but someone who's not a, a, kind of an Amazing Spider-Man penciler um, being brought in to do one of the final chapters um, of a, of a storyline. In particular, I guess it is the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man before the book ends. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Um you know, it's the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man before it relaunches uh, under Byrne and Mackie. and yet we get you know a gush writer who's going to be the you know the, the co-plotter and illustrator for Volume Two going forwards, and we have a, a you know a penciler who's you know not a big name penciler, someone who's just kind of very feels very workaday, and that's kind of what we get here as we get, finally get to see the gathering of these five people and the idea that you know. Norman Osborn very much wants the power, wants that to be what he gets, and everyone kind of starts to get different gifts, but they maybe aren't what we think they are. Um, I like, overall, what we see here. I think it's interesting to kind of see Molten Man doing his part, trying to stop Alison Green and Robbie Robertson. Um, you have, and this is a big deal at the time, that Alison McGrain basically, I think she dies, but or she's almost dead, and she tells... Um, Mary Jane, that you know she, because she's like I need to tell Peter, but I can tell you that May is alive. That's a big deal at the time because there had been a lot of hints that Alciman Green had uh, been the one who kidnapped uh, May, um, May Parker, their child, and took him away and went on a cruise to Europe. Basically, uh, this was the first idea that maybe you now that they had May, and that's where we're going to be able to kind of fix that storyline, which I think a lot of people were excited for at the time. Um, and, and again at the end of the storyline, it definitely looks like Osborn's ready to be the Green Goblin again because he's getting power uh, and at the end of the issue Peter's like with well, May's alive we gotta go um, and he's like you, basically we have MJ being like there's no way it can't be it can't be that May's alive and Peter's like I'm gonna go rescue her and and uh, MJ's like, no, it can't be. I felt my baby die, which is horrible and heartbreaking. Like, that's... This is actually really rough stuff that I feel like... We get, like, two pages of them having a brief fight about it. And Peter's like, no, I'm going to go rescue May. And, uh... MJ's like, no, it's just a ploy. It's not a real thing. Don't let him play this way into our lives, which is super traumatic and upsetting. Like, I feel like in modern comics, if they had done something like this, you'd have pages of being able to actually explore what that means to these characters. But instead, it's like two pages quickly glossed over. And she's just like, Peter, Peter, don't let him do this to you again. And he's just like, no, I'm I'm determined to go find May. And then we lead into the final chapter, part two, uh, in Peter Parker, Spider-Man 97, uh, with a, has a cover by John Byrne. Um, not a big fan of the redesign of the green goblin. I actually pretty much hate it. Um, I just always find it to look silly. Uh, they added a cape, which kind of came from the Phil Yorick's version of the goblin. I just wasn't a huge fan of his look here. Um, just something about it. I don't, I can't even quite put my finger on what I don't like about it, but I don't. Um, but the interiors are fantastic. Uh, because you have Howard Mackie writing with John Rader Jr. and Scott Hanna on the art. And their work is tremendous. So suddenly we go from having five issues of kind of weird setup with hidden miss art uh, to a setup chapter. Uh, no, sorry, the first chapter of the final chapter uh, by you know an artist who's not that well known, hasn't done a lot of work. And then we go into the the main event. I'm going to call it. I mean, now you have like a classic Spider-Man penciler, and the the the, the whole thing kind of feels like it's it ratcheted up a notch. Like um, in the the just the first page, you have a shot of the Green Goblin. Um, you know, his is he doesn't have the mask on yet. He's basically getting dressed, which is kind of a weird sequence because it's like um, you have these these people who work for uh the green goblin helping him get dressed and it's super kind of weird because everyone looks like very like like they're mind control and don't even know what they're doing and they're getting him dressed but it's one of those things where when we kind of look at him, you're like well that's weird but at the time like it just looks badass because you know the green goblin is is, is getting fully garbed he's extremely well penciled by john ritter jr uh in his classic kind of late 90s style um it's and it's really well colored. I let me see who did the coloring here because uh, the colors are by, let's see here Gregory Wrightwell. Who he really does a great job with the with the colors there. Very menacing, a great uh, hue to the green as he's getting dressed. Then unfortunately he puts on the mask, and this is where you realize that even Johnny Winter Jr. can't save this mask redesign, uh, which has kind of weird eyes and like eyelashes almost. And um, yeah, like up until then you're kind of like yeah this is good. And again it's really cool that we're seeing, you know, him actually being the, the Green Goblin again. And is and he's ready to kind of go up against uh, Spider-Man. He kills these underlings though for no reason whatsoever, which is kind of crazy. And then again, the Storyline really kind of kicks up and has a lot of momentum to it because it's all about you know Spider-Man's heading to fight the Green Goblin. It goes up against some weird genetic mutations that they don't really explain why they're even there. But Spider-Man just kind of takes them out. It basically could have just been dogs. Instead, it's some weird like purple monster dogs. Like I don't I don't know what why this is what would be uh, in front of uh, Norman Osborn's estate. And even getting there it looks like like I don't know where this estate is supposed to be, and what kind of creepy, like jagged jungle there is on the way there. But it does manage to have a good sense of um, what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to be very intimidating. It's supposed to you know, really be setting the stage for something exciting. And uh, then we, we kind of go up to uh, something I don't like, which is the Green Goblin uh, confronting Spider-Man and throwing him um throwing him um, uh, a book. And basically, it's the journal that he wrote in the Osborne Journal. And then it's basically, oh, we have you special changing ink, and it's actually uh, something I'd planted that... Which I don't even know why they even bother with it, but um, they basically show that you know he had this plan that if spider-man had got this evidence he would have brought it to the authorities but then everything would have changed and it would have looked like um you know the as norman osborne was writing in a journal about how he was living in fear of spider-man and how he knows uh who is spider-man and that spider-man had killed his own aunt may spider-man obviously doesn't like that they have a bit of a fight at the same time we have mj dealing with um you know she's at this you know, kind of a press conference and she's dealing with, you know, is our baby really alive? Maybe Peter's right. Maybe I shouldn't. And again, this is the kind of the interesting aspects of the story that they're really kind of getting into um, MJ herself. Um, you know, she's about to change her lifestyle. She's going to go back into modeling. But then she's, you know, maybe, maybe my baby is alive. Like I was ready to have moved on from that in my life. And that's as someone who's gone through. Uh, issues of m- miscarriages, etc. It definitely speaks to me in a way that it would not have spoken to me twenty years ago, um, and is actually you know kind of a heavier read. Uh, again, then we go back to a, a great Spider-Man Goblin fight, um, which is very cool. And again, I, I like it when you have John Ritter Jr. And uh, illustrating a Spider-Man Green Goblin fight, it doesn't quite feel as powerful as Spider-Man 75 that he also illustrated, which was the end of the clone saga, but it still definitely has a lot of power to it. And the idea is that Spider-Man's, you know, in a hallway, he knows that, you know, I gotta go here, he opens this door, his spider sense kinda goes off and he gets hit over the head with like a lamp and he looks up and May is alive. So now we're gonna start something that, you know, the here <laughs> It's it's interesting storyline. It has its ups. It has its downs. We're going to go to one of the major downs now. Now, I'm not necessarily against the idea of, Sp- of Anime being alive. However, it invalidates one of my favorite Spider-Man stories, which was her death. Um, because I thought her death kind of pushed Spider-Man forward. Um, this older character who would always kind of be on the precipice was kind of pushed off and they ended up using Aunt Anna as kind of an Aunt May stand-in in in the late 80s, sorry, late 90s. But I think that was just because they didn't know how to move forward in certain elements. Um, I always thought it was such a... What I loved about the death of Aunt May was that she died of old age. That's something that doesn't always happen in comics. Usually there's some sort of, you know, contrivance happens uh, as to how someone dies. Or it's, you know, I just was so glad that it was something that Spider-Man couldn't blame himself for. Um, There was no guilt. It was, my aunt was old. She died. It was sad. I was sad to lose her. But life moves on. And that's definitely what it felt like when JMD, uh, sorry, JMD Mateus, I should say, when he wrote Amazing Spider-Man 400. It felt like life. It felt like no matter how much you want to hold on to someone unfortunately people do die and it wasn't because of anything he could have done and I'm so glad that they didn't go into that cliche and then you you upend it by a storyline, this one um, which really strains against any kind of credul- credulity or credibility that any Spider-Man comic could ever have so we have the final chapter part 3 of 4 Called The Triumph of the Goblin by uh, Howard Mackey, Luke Ross, and Al Milgram. So the same uh, team that we had in the last so issue Spectacular Spider-Man. And I do like the art. And I, I like how over the top this uh, the goblin is here. Um, and he's kind of a, still like a mean dick. Like he's like silence woman and like knocks Anime out, like which is a very much something that they have to do because anime has to be knocked out so that they can still confront each other without Anime figuring out who Spider-Man is, so I get it. Um, and then we go to the crazy stuff. We get to the idea that oh, there's a bomb in her head, and um, uh, you know, Spider-Man brings his aunt to see the Fantastic Four. They check her out. They figure out that she's real, and um, and uh, that they, they weren't exactly sure. You know, it's possible it could be the real AMA, it could not be, but it's not a clone or any kind of artificial life which I am able to identify, which is big, because you need Reed Richards to be the one to say this, because otherwise, everyone's going to think it's just a clone, uh, or other some other type of, you know, of life form, as he mentions, um, which is interesting, but oh yeah, we don't actually know that the bomb is in her brain yet, that's something we'll get later, uh, and then Spider-Man kind of goes home, and... This is so weird. So Mary Jane is celebrating, you know, going back into um, being a model. And then upstairs in the attic, spider Man's is rooting around for basically for DNA so he can bring it so to read so he can confirm it against May's original DNA to make sure that uh, it, she is the real deal. And um, uh, so MJ there, there. She's like, what are you looking for? And he's like, you were right, Mary Jane. It wasn't, it wasn't our baby, our little May that Norman had. And then MJ uh, MJ's like, oh. He said, good, that we can get on with our life and you can get out of the attic and join the party, right? And no, it's brace yourself. It's Aunt May or someone, something that looks like her. Reed Richards is examining her. He said it was with a D-Day sample. He'll be sure. I've got to know, MJ. Peter, I know, it sounds insane. There's nothing you can say that I haven't said to myself over and over again. We've been through this so many times before. It's not her. It can't be. It was with. I was with her when she went, but... And it, was, it just continues to go on. I, this is such a weird moment because, again, it's one of those things where I feel like it could have been there almost should have been more depth here. Uh, he's definitely upset. He's definitely had to deal with something. But I guess the problem that Mackie has here is that Spider-Man's dealt with so much weird shit in the five years leading up to this that it's almost hard to to really sell Peter's anguish be- or his frustration because of how crazy things have been that this is almost not even that crazy. Anyways, they figure out that she is May Parker and that there is something else at the base of her skull there is basically a bomb, and uh, which is so crazy, like of course. And at the end of the issue, of you know, it's so weird. We have Osborne Industries corporate headquarters. You have this big office that appears to overlook something else, like some other uh, part of the um, of the business, where Osborne is sitting there smoking a cigar in his goblin costume. Super bizarre. But again, him and him and Spider-Man taunt each other, and they decide that they're going to fight. Oh, there's a there's a, a genetic you know disease that he's basically or a DNA bomb that he's created, and uh, he infects you know everyone working in his in his factory, and they're all dead. Like so over the top, crazy stuff. Um, Spider-Man tries to punch. A goblin. He's basically like, that would have knocked me unconscious before that that time is passed. We're done. He throws Spider-Man out of a building. He grabs him. He kind of messes with him, throws him around. Um, going up and down buildings, blowing stuff all over the place. Um, Spider-Man ends up getting blasted on the ground. He's All these pumpkin bombs are being thrown at him. He unmasks Peter in front of everyone, blasts him again, and then he's like, I did it. I killed Spider-Man. He's holding Spider-Man's body with Peter Parker's face out. And uh, the entire supporting cast, basically Ben Urich, uh, Betty Brand, Flash Thompson, J. Jonah Jameson, they're all there and they can see what happened. To be concluded in the pages of Peter Parker 98. Now, I remember this coming out when it first happened. And I remember like, holy shit, how are they going to get their way out of this? Pretty easily. <laughs> um, it's, again, I love and hate these, these comics. I will always like them for a certain degree because I was, you know, as I said, 14 to 15 years old. These were my comics. Um, so I, you know, I was reading these, you get the next chapter, this is the final chapter part four. Four. there's two covers here, there's the burn cover, which is Spider-Man kind of uh, swinging off in the, uh, with the, the sun behind him, and then there's uh, the chap, the one I like, uh, which is the one I actually bought, which has Spider-Man on the ground instead, it's the exact same image, but instead of him being triumphant in the air, instead he's on the ground crushed with his costume half off, I always kind of like that image, um, Apparently they call it the the inner cover bound underneath the issue's regular cover. And I guess that's true. I thought it was on top, though. I feel like that's wrong. I feel like I'm looking at this trade. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that my, um, I guess it is quote-unquote the inner cover. But I think you could get it as the the main cover. And I know mine was. Um, was, And then you have the first page. is actually a pretty cool shot of the Green Goblin. Even though he has these stupid eyelashes, uh, which I really don't like. And he's just laughing. He's like, he's dead. I killed him. I killed Spider-Man. Which is a really cool first... Di- you know, you got a great two-page splash that ends the last issue. And a great one-pager to start this. As we get into the How- uh, Howard Mackie and John Demeter Jr. Um, uh, creative team behind the final chapter, part four. And then you flip the page and, Sp- and Green Goblin's webbed up on the ground and he's just batshit crazy. And Spider-Man's like, he's start raving mad. So basically everything that happened in the last few pages did not really happen. And he's just he's just a crazy person. He just thinks that... He thinks in his met basically this is where we get the idea that he didn't actually get uh, power, he got madness. And this will inform the character for a little for the next couple of years or at least couple of appearances where we, we see him in. Um, and basically, he's crazy, but he has all these bombs that are set up to kind of blow up everywhere. And this kind of is part of what ends this storyline. So you know, the Green Goblin's basically out of it now. He's bombed the uh, the Daily Bugle. And the building's going to collapse, and Spider-Man's trying to hold up one of the beams. And it's very much trying to evoke, um, you know, the, the classic uh, Master Planner trilogy, the, the 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 ending of that, where Spider-Man is always trying to do the entire time is fight. He's trying to hold up a, basically a building. And again, as a kid, I really responded to this. Reading it now, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff that happens here. But as a kid, I loved it. So we have Spider-Man doing everything he can to hold up this building, or at least hold up part of a building that's about to collapse because of all the structural damage it's had on the bottom. He is finally able to pull it up, which is you know a, a series of of him talking about people, you know, giving their commentary on, on Peter Parker, sorry on Peter Parker on Spider-Man. MJ's you know being like, I, I I love you, I believe in you, you can do this. You have Spider-Man doing everything he can. That stuff I think is very strong and very effective. And then he's finally able to kind of hold up this piece, he's able to web up a girder and he's put things into place and then becomes one of the silliest scenes is him webbing up basically a building. Like the entire bottom half of this building is just supported by webbing and you just now, as a kid I love this because it showed that you know that he, like, this was a big deal, and you see a shot of cartridge after cartridges falling onto the ground. Basically the equivalent of someone like shooting something and having all the shells at the ground, but this time it's all these web cartridges because he's doing everything he can to web up this building. And then finally he says, this is very much an understatement, move these people back. I don't know how long the webbing will hold. First of all, pretty sure Spider-Man knows it's an hour. So that, that webbing is only out there over an hour, and then this building... Falls down, but he walks away. Basically, Jameson's like yelling at him, and he's like, "No, I'm through." And he just tells MJ, "We're gonna meet at the hospital. I love you. Uh, I don't. I'm not okay, but I have to keep moving." He goes to meet um, uh, Reed, Reed, and now we have a few pages which are definitely just filler because you have Spider-Man who's been beaten up. He's been he's had to hold up a building, and as Reed Richards is doing basically this surgery to remove this bomb from May, from May Parker's brain, he's falling on the way, and he's like, I can't let Reed, you know, operate. I have to tell her what's going on, make sure that you know, they're able to, to, to save her. And it's like, we have to come up with anything. We can't remove the device yet. We have to save her life. Um, it's just three pages that don't need to be here. And then we have these two pages where it's a nice day, new mom, where you have MJ and Peter talking about everything that's happened, and Peter decides he's not going to be Spider-Man anymore, which has happened before. But basically, he's decided I'm going to, I'm going to walk away, and he's able to see Aunt May and she's alive, which, on the one hand, is nice, and it's also it takes away from a storyline that we that I love uh, because an actress was given DNA to impersonate May parker which is what we found out in the storyline which i kind of glossed over because it's so bad i didn't even want to talk about it uh we then have the customary spider-man throwing his costumes and his web shooters into uh a burning garbage can because he's done and he's back let's get on with our lives which is kind of a nice way to end a chapter uh you're ending a volume and then you have spider-man who that's sorry, the no spider-man green goblin is crazy uh he gets unmasked um wherever he is and then he gets uh uh, taken by the squires because he belongs to them, and that's kind of where they end this. And then you move into you know the next chapter, which at some point maybe I'll talk about uh, on on a future episode. Um, definitely interesting stuff. Uh, it's not the greatest way to kind of end a book. I mean, first of all, it's it's so funny to me that that Marvel at any point would decide to end a book. First of all, they're ending Amazing Spider-Man at four forty-one, so nine issues before four fifty. They're ending Spider-Man at ninety-eight instead of letting it go two more issues to 100 uh, and then there's no real anniversaries for sensational or spectacular um, a lot of ups and downs in these I mean I have like a lot a lot of nostalgia there's some good parts I like about this the whole gathering of five ceremonies is a little hokey but I liked what was going in there with some of the setup issues where you had uh, Madame Webb kind of dealing with what she did to get from this uh maddie franklin is introduced here and uh she's not much yet but in the next chapter she definitely will be uh override is a really tragic story so i like the kind of how they used him here um the older guy who kind of helped norman with the storyline he's very much a throwaway Uh, But Norman himself, obviously, is is quite interesting uh, to kind of see what he gets from this and ends up not being what he expected. And that's kind of something that they don't really go into here is that we see the gathering. We see Norman think he has power. And then next time we see him, he's fighting Spider-Man. But we don't really get to see what happens to the rest. That's something that we have to end up waiting for the next chapter to actually see how the different characters were affected. Um, in, uh, in, in some surprising ways. And when the next chapter does come, uh, so th- I think it was just a few months after that they actually published it, uh, it's cover date January 1999. So I was, yeah, I was 15 years old now when, the, when it relaunched. And uh, Amazing Spider Man number one is by Mackie and Byrne. Uh, so they're the creative team on that. Um, and then on, I'm just trying to think. On uh, the other book on Peter Parker's, uh, uh, I guess it was just, yeah, no, it was Peter Parker's Spider Man again. Um, for its new issue, uh, you had it written by Mackey and you had it uh, illustrated by John Ameter Jr., and he definitely adds a lot. Like, I think my remembrance of these volumes would is very much through this prism of John Peter Jr.'s artwork was pretty good during this period. Uh, the stuff by, by uh, John Byrne was considerably less so. Definitely was not his most inspired work. But that is something I can talk about on an upcoming episode. So that has been our, our flashback to Gathering of Five in the final chapter. If you haven't read it... Uh, you may feel like you don't really need to now and uh, there are as I said there's some high points but there's a lot of weird stuff that happens here like I said uh, Spider-Man is fighting dogs fighters fight some weird mutated creatures like there's just some weird choices made um, feels very much of the time it doesn't actually feel as grounded it's a storyline that's trying to bring to a close certain um, ongoing storylines they wanted to kind of get rid of Norman Osborn as being this unoppersed threat uh, they wanted to get rid of the Alice among green uh, storyline um, although that didn't really really go the way I think anyone wanted it to because everyone kind of wanted the baby to come back I remember when I read it as it was coming out, I was like oh my god they're bringing back the baby and it was like oh wait Aunt May huh um, also, again, you had an appearance of Kane, which is never touched on ever. Um, so a lot of weird stuff kind of happened here. Um, but uh, it set up uh, you know, a new stage for Spider-Man, which was a big deal because uh, you went from having four ongoing Spider-Man books that came out every month. Amazing, Spider-Man, sensational and spectacular uh, to only having two. That was a big deal. They were paring down the line. Uh, they're trying to be more consistent. You had uh, Howard Mackie writing both. Obviously, he was doing Amazing Spider-Man with John Byrne, but he was still writing both titles. And he would be basically up to issue 19 of both titles, uh, I believe. Um, and then he would continue writing Amazing to issue 29, uh, with Paul Jenkins taking over on Peter Parker Spider-Man at issue number 20. Uh, so it's a very interesting transitory period. Um, again, I, I remember a lot of these really, really well because I wasn't buying a lot of comics when I was 15 years old. I was buying... Uh, I'm trying to remember what I was buying at this time. If I ever picked up... I should check out a, a Diamond release list for these periods. But I think I was buying like Amazing Spider-Man... I think for that particular month, I bought all Spider-Books. But after the re- the relaunch uh, or the reboot as Next Chapter, I know I was reading Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I was reading Amazing Spider-Man. And I was reading... I remember I, I guess I was probably reading Iron Man at the time um, Again, I wasn't reading a lot of books um, I was reading Uncanny X-Men, X-Men and I almost want to say that's it but I feel like that can't be right but I guess there was a time when I was only reading five or six books so but those are the books I was reading so I mean so I remember these really well and I kind of missed that from when i was younger when i only really had money to buy like four or five books and those books were the books i loved you know and those i i reread them and i know them really well because i've read them multiple times and when you don't own thousands of comics it's very easy to do that because you only have a few Uh, Once you own thousands of comics, you realize that you don't read any of your comics anymore. Uh, You read a very small fraction of them, or you just read trade paperback collections of them, and you're not even really reading those individual issues anymore. Uh, If that sounds like what's actually happened to me in real life, it is. Uh, Anyways, that's been our episode. Thank you for joining me for this, wow, 45 minutes of talking about... Uh, some comics that most people will never talk about again. Uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at com. like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.